You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want us to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 27. If you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we are actually in a mini series of a series. We, we've been wrapping up uh, deep fakes, uh, uh, spiritual con artists in the Bible, but some of those con artists can actually be prophets. <laughs> con, uh, um, and so we're going to look at one of those. We've been looking at one of those for the last couple of weeks, and it really spans through three chapters, chapter 27, 28, and 29. I'm going to reduce the scriptures each week that I read because it's a, it's a long story, but I hope to abbreviate it for you today. But we're going to begin in Jeremiah 27, verse 1. Several years ago, John Piper was speaking at a virtual conference uh, in Europe and Asia uh, where the question of the day was, can joy come from sorrow? And here's what he said. One of the most natural questions in the world is to ask how joy relates to sorrow in our lives. Or we could rephrase the question, how does happiness relate to pain or weeping? The reason I say it, uh, it's a natural question, is because all of us experience both of these regularly. Sad, painful, disappointing, frustrating, damaging realities come into our lives more or less regularly. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small, but no human goes very long in this world without something happening which we would call sorrowful or painful or disappointing. And it's just as true that virtually everyone, some more frequent than others, experience moments that make us happy, cheerful, pleased, content, and satisfied. For some, the pain is dominant. For some, the pleasure is dominant. But it's natural, indeed inevitable, that we experience both, whatever the proportion. So, church, it's a, it's a natural question for us to ask today when suffering is inevitable, when judgment is looming, when the weather looks wearisome, how can we be faithful in such a fearful forecast? Or as Piper said, how can we find joy in sorrow? And I believe some of those answers are found in this four-part story of Jeremiah 27 to 29. And so I want us to read these words uh, in abbreviation, of course. Uh, so hang with me. We're going to skip around. The, they'll be on the screen as well. Jeremiah 27, verse 1. We're only going to read a, few, a couple of verses there. And this is part one. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Joseph, King of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Last week we actually saw a picture of this. A yoke bar is the bar that goes across the back of, a, of cattle or mules or whatever to help them pull an ox. The straps are then used to control them or hook them to the cart. And so God told Jeremiah, put one of those on your back while you're preaching. All right. And remember the yoke bar, it was, it was just a visible display of the reality of the message Jeremiah was delivering, right? He had to tell some bad news to this coalition. There was a coalition of nations, kings that came together and they were going to talk about Babylon. And I'm sure they were thinking we're going to form a coalition. We're going to go to war together, uh, partners. And, and God said, no, I've actually chosen to give wicked Babylon victory over you. But if you'll serve Babylon, you'll be fine. And if you resist their yoke of burden, you will not be fine. You'll be destroyed. So Jeremiah 28, part two, uh, verse one, 
In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the uh, fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, there's the deep fake, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priest and all the people. So this is a public forum. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the house of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king, uh, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So remember, Jeremiah says, man, I hope so. Man, praise God. Amen. Let it be. But I'm just going to warn you, all the prophets before you, Hananiah, and before me, Jeremiah, they didn't say this. They were prophesying that the, the, what, the forecast was bleak, right? But hey, I hope it's true. And if it comes true, we're going to know you're telling the truth, <laughs> right? And of course, Hananiah ignores all that. And he goes over and he lifts that yoke bar in front of all those people, in front of the priests and the elders. He lifts that yoke bar off and he breaks it on the ground, all right? And he says, no, this is going to, in two years, all this is going to be over. Well, sometime after that happened, God had a message for prosperity prophet Hananiah in Jeremiah 28, verse 15, part three. Jeremiah 28, verse 15. And Jeremiah, the prophet, said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord hasn't sent you. And you've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'll remove you from the face of the earth. You, this year you shall surely die. Because you've uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So they all knew who the real prophet was then, right? So fast forward to Jeremiah 29. This is the last part, part four, uh, verse one. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from J Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse five. Jeremiah 21, 29, verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. For this says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets or your, or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. You'll come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I've sent you into exile. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Meredith Ashby to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. All right, let's bow our heads. First of all, oh God, what a week it's been with the weather. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody's been feeling lots of emotions, happiness, sadness, worrisome, madness. 
<laughs> I'm sure some parents which wish they had laser eyes at times it could just bean the snow away with that being said I pray today that um, you still our hearts Lord and um, just still our hearts let them be quiet to receive the message that went is bringing us today through you in Jesus name amen I believe one of the best uh, ways uh, to start 2024 is to better prepare ourselves to trust Christ in the face of tragedy. I believe we'll have a more joyful year. We will not hit every speed bump in the road with the attitude we hit it uh, for the last three years. You know, I'm, I'm praying. I've, I've sensed a general anger in the world, you know, and an anger among God's people and an anger in my own soul because we're saturated with so much uh, negative things, so many negative things. And so in the midst of inevitable bad news, what do we do? And so we've, we've covered uh, for the last two weeks, silver lining number one, that God's ways are always right. We mentioned two fruitful facts there. First, God's decisions are higher than our understanding. Psalm 139 verse 17 says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast the sum of them. We can't hold the, the thoughts of God. Deuteronomy 30 32, 31. Indeed, their rock is their rock. Little R is not like our rock. Big R. All right. Uh, even our enemies themselves judge this. So, in the space of our ignorance, we need to trust that God uh, is perfect. He is not like us. Right. When our vision is blurred uh, by the fearful forecast ahead of us, whatever's going on in your life, we need to remember that God is not like us. There are ways he is above and beyond our comprehension. And so his decisions are higher than our understanding. Second, God's decisions are just in ways we may not see. God's not taken by surprise uh, by someone doing harm or him allowing harm to come to, to us. He, was, he wasn't going to let sin go unpunished. He wasn't forgetting about his people. He wasn't pressing pause on his relationship with his children. He's not an earthly referee who needs a replay. You're not going to watch any football this afternoon without seeing a bad call, right? And those challenge flags will be thrown onto the field, but our God is perfect. So you need to go out and pick up your challenge flag and put it back in your pocket, right? Because God doesn't need a review. He saw it before it was going to happen. He's judged other people. He judged deep fake prosperity prophet Hananiah. He judged Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that last week. And he's going to judge us either by our sin or by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only two options you got. I'm picking door number two. <laughs> right? Uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Psalm 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So silver, silver lining number one, just by way of review, is that God's ways are right. Silver lining number two, God's timing is always perfect. Now, here's the deal. It's not like false prophet Hananiah. It's not like everything that he said wasn't going to happen, right? There are things that false prophet Hananiah said were going to happen that did eventually happen. 
God was going to eventually rescue. He just wasn't going to rescue in the timing that Hananiah put forward. And there are lots of people who falsely predict the return of the Lord. Uh, even good people, John Wesley, speculated that Christ would return by 1836, according to his commentary in Romans, um, Revelation 12, verse 12. He was, and he was influenced by a writer named Johann Albrecht Bengel. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but he's a, that guy was a contemporary Lutheran kind of pietist of Luther's, of um, of Wesley's day. And it, so it, that prediction would be comparable to us, someone today predicting Christ would return in 2112 or so. According to the familiar discourses of Martin Luther, translated by H. Bell in 1818 on the last paragraph of page seven, Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote, I hope the last day of judgment is not far. I persuade myself verily, it will not be absent full 300 years longer. Of course, he said that in 1540, so it would have been 1840 he's talking about. Of course, remember the reformers, they thought Christ was returning soon because uh, you had the Catholic Church in disarray and you had just the paramount corruption, people paying to get their sins forgiven in the Catholic Church. And then you had uh, Islam threatening to take over Europe at that time. So they really thought the end was near. Augustine of Hippo, he was a the theologian and a philosopher in Roman North Africa. He died in AD 430. And he generally believed that Christ would return by 650 AD. And that, uh, that, that would be like for us, maybe 2262. Right, Christ returning. He was predicting these things. There were three other men. Uh, Hippolytus of Rome, uh, Sextus Julius Africanus, and a guy named Irenaeus uh, who thought the date would be around 500 AD. Of course, they thought Jesus was going to return when the earth was 6,000 years old. And they thought the earth was already 5,500 years old. So they all set the date at, at 500 AD. Sandro Botticelli, who died uh, AD 1510, believed he was living during the time of tribulation and the millennium would begin in three and a half years from AD 1500. Johann Jacob Zimmermann was a German mathematician, theologian, astronomer. He believed Jesus would return and the world would end in 1694. In the 1700s, the United Society of Believers in Christ's second appearing, also known as the Shakers, believed that the second coming of Christ would be through a Woman. In 1770, Anne Lee became the leader of the Shakers, and they believe she was revealed at, in manifestation of divine light to be the second coming of Christ. She was called Mother Anne. This is history. <laughs> Charles Taze Russell, first president of what is now the Watchtower Society of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He proclaimed Christ's invisible return in 1874. That was convenient. The re resurrection of the saints in 1875. A rapture of the saints to heaven in 1878. And the final end of the day of wrath in 1914. Joseph Smith. He was the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. And in the minutes of a meeting held on February 14th, 1835, in which the first 12 apostles of the Mormon church were chosen to be ordained and instructed, it states that President Smith stated that the meeting had been called because God had commanded it. He goes on to say this meeting's with a determination to lay down, these men would lay down their lives if necessary. They should be ordained to the ministry and go forth to prune the vineyard for the last time or the coming of the Lord, which was nigh, even 56 years should wind up the scene. Now, when that 56 years passed, of course, 
Later in a different revelation, dated April 2nd, 1843, he said God had revealed that the date would be no earlier than 1890. Gotta change your date if you pass it, all right? So based, here's what I'm saying. Based on the cycles, based on the cycles of good and bad, there's not a soul in here that couldn't prophesy good and bad, and some of it would come true, right? Just like Hananiah, right? We could, we could prophesy and be correct. It's not that the, but here's the thing. What seemed to incite the judgment of God on Hananiah was not only that Hananiah said God told him that the suffering was going to be over soon. It wasn't just that the, he gave false hope to the children of God. You need to prepare. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus says you're going to suffer as believers. He's trying to prepare us, right? But I believe part of the reason that Hannah, that God's anger was incited to Hananiah is because he claimed control of time. He's telling God. Obviously, God hadn't told him it was going to be two years, right? That's obvious. God said it before he said it. Don't trust him. Then Hananiah said it. Jeremiah warned him. Hananiah said it again. I mean, how many times you got to be warned? But he said it. He, Hananiah was attempting to dictate God's timing. And friend, let me just tell you, I don't know what's going on in your year. But it is a grievous sin to tell God when he's going to do something. Now, I believe in asking God to do something. I asked God to give me a wife on January 5th, uh, 1992. I said, would you please give me the woman you want me to marry by February? And he answered that prayer. I didn't tell him to do it. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if I expected him to do it. I was just praying that he'd do it, Right. We often pray for things that we don't know if he'll answer, but we're submitting to whatever his will is. And I went out on my first date with her 32 years ago. 30, yeah, 32 years ago, February 7th. Yeah, we're going to Fiji this year. Uh, any such act or statement is open rebellion against the loving will of God. James 4 verse 13 says, Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yeah, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. What is your life? You're a mist. You know how quick a mist, you know how a breath just vaporizes? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes in the scope of eternity. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So to say, I'm going to do anything apart from the will of God is arrogance, according to Scripture. And it's considered evil. <laughs> so let me just say two things here about the second silver lining. One is God's timing is often concealed. Is not this the very definition of faith Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. <laughs> if we know that God's plans are to prosper us, which is later, it was in Jeremiah 29, if we know God plans to vindicate us, if we know God plans, his plans are for our good, then surely we can trust in what God has chosen to conceal from us. There's not a parent in here or a grandparent in here that doesn't do this every day. You choose what you're going to let your children watch on TV or what games you're going to let them play, right? And as they get older, I was talking to a teenager in here who drove in the snow for the first time, all right? She wasn't going to drive 
uh, last year in the snow, but this year she was ready. And so we make these judgments all the times as parents because I, 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 we say, we're, you're, I'm not going to let you watch that, but because you don't have the filters in place that you need <laughs> to watch that, right? It may not be a bad show, but it may, you just may not be ready for whatever it has. There's a, in her memoir, The Hiding Place, Y'all may have heard this story. I think I've shared it before, but uh, you know, Corey Tim Boom, she was a Holocaust survivor and she uh, watched her, uh, she died, her sister die in a concentration camp. But she tells the story of a conversation she had with her father when she was a little girl. They were on a train together and uh, she asked him a question about sex. And boy, he sat there, you know, on that train ride thinking, how am I gonna tell my little girl about this? This is, a, this is the birds and the bees conversation. And so he thought for a minute and he reached up above him and he grabbed a heavy piece of luggage, his luggage. And he set it on the ground when they stopped. And he said, Corey, would you, would you pick up and carry that suitcase? Well, he sat there and watched her struggle to lift and move that suitcase. And she finally had to confess, look, I can't, I can't pick it up, daddy, it's too heavy. He said, yes. Here are his words. It'd be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for you. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. But for now, you must trust me to carry it for you. Recounting this story, Corey sums up her reaction to her father's uh, words that day. Here's what she says. I was satisfied more than satisfied. I was wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and all my hard questions, but for now I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. Listen, y'all need to let go of some stuff. You know, we need to let go of things that we don't understand, things that we're questioning God about. Doesn't mean we should stop praying. Doesn't mean we should stop asking, but I'm telling you, relief is coming. Jesus has already brought relief on the cross and Jesus is returning with certainty, right? And we even know some of the details of his return. We know some of the signs. We know some of the methods, the way he's going to come, Thessalonians, right? We just don't know the timing. We know it'll be sudden, but we don't know the timing of it. That's in God's hands. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1 says, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what's restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. There's a time. <laughs> for him to be revealed. And it's not now because God is restraining him. And uh, I think it was that great theologian, Garth Brooks, who said some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And you know what? That line in that song is true. What we think is unanswered are biblical realities. God doesn't always reveal his timing because it wouldn't strengthen our faith. It wouldn't lead us to what is best. And like the suitcase in Corey Tim Boone's father's hands, it's better left to him. So the question is, can you trust the future? Can you trust your suitcase to your father's hands this year? 
You're not going to find joy in this year if you can't do that. That is one of the primary themes of Jeremiah 27 to 29. The forecast is bleak, but God controls the weather. So our faithful endurance is necessary because relief is coming. And listen, I brag on my parents all the time. All right. And so I feel like because I brag on my parents so much, it gives me the right to say at least one negative thing about them. All right. (laughs) And that is this. They are notoriously late. And there's some of y'all, you know who you are. Y'all always rolling in late. All right. Y'all don't roll in late to other things. Mm -hmm. I bet you show up on time for that cruise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet you don't miss your flight. Yeah. But you, so Vicki and I were on a double date a couple weeks ago with some friends down the street, April and Daniel. And April brought up uh, time blindness. Y'all ever heard of time blindness? It's a thing. I looked it up. It's defined as the inability to sense when time has passed and estimate the time needed to get something done. Woman, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. Just, just a joke. It isn't an official diagnosis, but it can significantly affect how you plan and carry out your daily activities. So when I want to go fishing with my dad, my 79-year-old dad, I want to leave the house at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. What time do you think I tell him to be there? If you said 2.30 on Thursday, you'd be absolutely correct. <laughs> now, I do tell him. I do tell him 8.30 to get him there on time. Right? Here's the deal, though. God isn't. I'm gonna, next week, worship's at 10. All right? I'm, I'm just kidding. It's only for two of you. God isn't timeline. All right? He is the time creator. And he may just know which time is best for you, right? Be it salvation, be it marriage or career path, relationships, sickness, health, children, uh, schooling, a host of other milestones on this relatively short journey, earthly journey to heaven, all right? God's timing is often concealed for our good. Second, God's timing is part of the cure. Timing itself is part of the cure. <laughs> if we can't see this, then we're going to be ever more impatient. My, if my kids, uh, this is a hypothetical situation. If my kids uh, were to want me to take them sledding, and I'm in the act of hooking up the tow rope and the sled to the four-wheeler, and they're pestering me, relentlessly pestering me uh, to get, get the sled going, then their impatient heckling is counterintuitive to what I'm trying to accomplish. Do you understand? I want to pull them. I'm going to pull them. I'm making preparations to pull them. But they are either too selfish, too impatient, too spoiled, too oblivious to see what I'm doing. But they don't care. Of course, I'm not talking about my kids. They would never do that. I'm talking about yours. Here's the deal. Here's the cure. The cure is to understand your immortality. Your body's going to die, but you're, you're not dying. Everything that is you will never die. You had a start date, but you don't have an end date. You started in the heart of God, but you will not end. Your soul will spend eternity in heaven or hell, right? And if you understand your immortality... 
then you have passed part of the, new, the Bible's new life class for all Christians. Hebrews 6 verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So what are the elementary doctrines? What are the bare minimums that every Christian must understand? The standardized testing, if you will, right? He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So we're not going to talk about repentance again. You got that, right? Returning from your sin and what you trust to get you to heaven and putting it all in Jesus and his death and his death, burial, and resurrection, okay? There's one. Okay, what else? Uh, faith toward God, all right? Instruction about washing, and I have to believe that includes a baptism, what it does and doesn't do. It's symbolic, not salvific. Uh, the laying on of hands, and that could be for laying on hands for healing, anointing of, with oil and things like that. It could be casting out demons, laying on hands to cast out demons, or it could be sending people out to commission them to ministry. Uh, then the resurrection of the dead, that's in the new life class of the Bible. And then eternal judgment. Those six things are the new life class of Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Understanding our eternality, our immortality, is vital to grasping the timing of God. It's quite literally part of the cure. When we know our lives are but a vapor, then the fog ahead seems a lot more short-lived. Um, you know that I'm, uh, my namesake is my Uncle Went, who adopted my mom and dad. Many of y'all know, adopted my dad. Many of you know that. And my dad, he, my Uncle Went later passed away when my dad was young, but I would go and spend a lot of time with my Aunt Mary on Old Route 7 in, in Holly Springs. And on her a wall of her house, which I remember very clearly because I remember reading it and trying to figure it out as I was, when I was a little kid, was a cross-stitched little uh, cloth in a, in a picture frame. And it said, time is an herb that cures all ills. And other than the all part, because time doesn't cure sin, Christ cures sin. But other than the all part, I believe that, right? We can't know the weather uh, with perfect certainty, but we can know the one who controls the weather, right? And that's part of the cure, knowing who controls, trusting him with my time, right? That's one of the tools needed to, to be faithful in a fearful forecast. There's a st old story of a Chinese man he lived on the border of Mongolia, and at that time, there were tensions between the two factions and along that border, and there was fighting that would break out from time to time. And uh, the Chinese man had this beautiful mare, horse, and she got out of her corral one day, bolted down the road, crossed over the border, and the Mongolians captured that horse. And his friends came to him and said, man, buddy, I'm so sorry. I know you love that horse. That's, I'm sorry for your bad news. Well... Several days later, that mare comes bolting back across and behind was a beautiful stud stallion prancing right behind her, followed her right into the corral. The friends came to the guy and Chinese man and said, man, congratulations on the good news. He smiled and said, yeah. A few weeks later, the man's son was out there trying to break that stallion, fell off and broke his leg. The friend said, man, I am sorry for your bad news. Well, a few weeks later, a war broke out between China and Mongolia, and a Chinese general came through to recruit the young, able-bodied men, most of which died in the skirmish, except for that young man who had fallen off the horse and broken his leg. Good news. Time is literally part of the good news, right? We know God's timing is perfect. The problem with the song Bad Moon Rising is that it needs another verse, right? 
There is a bad moon rising, figuratively speaking, but the sun is coming up every morning and the Son of God has already come. That's why in the middle of a book entitled Lament, Lamentations, chapter three, verse 22, we read, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. I love that it says wait, then seek. In your waiting, you better be sharpening your, the, the, the knife, right? Sharpen the blade while you're waiting. And then you'll be able to work more efficiently for the Lord. It is good that one should wait quietly. I like that prayer of Meredith this morning to, sit, to be still, to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. What that means is suffering is temporary. The yoke is not forever. The timing alone is part of the cure. There was a little boy, and I'll end with this. There was a little boy who was standing in the middle of the road on this block, and this other man noticed him and said, hey, little, little boy, what you waiting on? He said, well, I'm waiting on the bus. And the guy broke out laughing. He said, the bus doesn't stop here, kid. You need to walk around the other side of the block. Everybody knows that's where the bus stop is. So go on, be on your way, get around there. You're going to miss that bus. It's, it's coming right around the corner soon. And he just stood there and said, no, I, the bus is going to pick me up right here. Well, the man thought the little kid was being kind of insolent. He was like, a little punk, you know. I'm telling you, kid, the bus does not stop here right? I've lived here for years. I know the bus doesn't stop here. It stops around the corner on the other block. You best be on your way. He said, well, thank you, sir, but I'm going to wait right here because the bus is, is going to be coming to pick me up. Well, the man was so mad, he just fumed and stormed off. And as he began to storm off, he could hear the screeching brakes of that bus rounding the corner. That bus pulled right up to that kid, opened the door, and as that kid got on the bus, he looked over at that man. He said, oh, my dad's the bus driver. <laughs> hey, listen, who's driving your bus this year, right? Are you trusting in God? Are you trusting in his timing that he's, you think he's going to miss you at the stop? You think he's passed you by? <laughs> Some of you are sprinting ahead of him <laughs> and you need to just give up and give it to him, right? Fearful forecast, fear, faith in the midst of a fearful forecast. He will carry us along in faith in the midst of whatever this year faces if we'll just trust him with his timing. Would you stand? Speaking of timing, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I pray, uh, Lord, if there's anyone in here today that has not called on the name of the Lord, and repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that they do that now. God, the good thing, the bad thing about you knowing our heart is you know when we're complacent, you know when we're slacking in our faith, you know when we're lacking in our spiritual disciplines, but the, the other good, the good thing about that is that you know what we wanna say to you, God, when, when we don't even know the words to say, we don't even know the prayers to pray. And so I pray if there's people in here that they're trying to cry out to you, but they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to talk to God because they've never done it before. They don't know what it's like. I pray that you just prompt them to understand that they can just talk to you. You're their friend with a capital F. You 
you care for them, you plan them, you knit them together in, in the womb of their mother. And no matter what problems they've had in life, no matter what sins they've committed, no matter what other ailments that maybe weren't their fault that, that they've been wrapped up in, God, you plan to prosper them. And so I pray that they would call on you and trust in you and your salvation. For others that may need to just make this, uh, make this church their home so they can plug in and serve, I'm so thankful for our servants. I'm just thinking about uh, Ken loaning his tractor so we could clean off the parking lot this week so people wouldn't slip and slide around today. I think of uh, the Choates teaching children's church right now and uh, Ann Hudson and others in the back in the nursery right now. People that brave the weather and the ice to be here to serve you, Lord. I'm thankful for our service. And I pray for more for other people that may want to come and join Piperton family to say, hey, I want to serve. I don't know where yet, but I want I want to do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name that we would be obedient to you. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.